Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for this time of worship and, and on this very unique Lord's Day in this country. Uh, Father, so thankful that uh, uh, your word is still your word. Your word is truth. And as we open your word, again, we ask through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the counselor, the spirit of truth, that you will uh, open our understanding. And then, Lord, uh, that we would not just be hearers, but doers of your word. And in that doing, in that obedience, we would be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus. So, Lord, thank you again for our time this morning. And, uh, Lord, as a, as a church body and as individuals that are part of the church, um, Lord, help us to, to be faithful to know what we believe, why we believe it, to count the cost, to be all in for Jesus, rooted and grounded in your word and in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, uh, bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 3, I thought of these verses because these are the verses that we started this year and this calendar year back in January Philippians 3.12, the Apostle Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect. He's talking about his walk with the Lord, his sanctification process. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That phrase, press on, means to vigorous, vigorously, uncompromisingly, continually, as the habit of my life, pursue Jesus. Right? Vigorously, vigorously uncompromisingly, continuously, as the habit of my life, pursue godliness, follow Jesus. Right? Ty, can you check the uh, temperature for me? And I start with that because as I was reflecting on, on the Supreme Court decision on Friday, I said, wow, wow. Six months ago, as we studied that passage week after week, we were pressing on in a whole different culture and environment. What it meant to press on in the United States back in January based on what happened on Friday, is different. And, and I was like, Lord, okay, so if, if, if we're going to press on, what does that look like? What does that mean? What's the starting point? And if you, if you weren't here at the beginning of service, you know, uh, I, just, I just took the time necessary to really cause us to reflect that this is really a first service for us. Because in the history of the United States of America, this is the first time that the church is gathering with a different definition of marriage. As stated by the Supreme Court of this country. And so there's a very sober, a very, you know, weighty meaning to this service for me pastorally uh, 
because of, of the responsibility of, of, of shepherding a body of believers and then down to the believer level. What does it mean to press on, Lord, in the current climate? Because we often would say, oh, the persecution, that's, that's the Middle East. That's Africa. And yet, Friday really, really profoundly changes things for those, for those who adhere to a biblical, scriptural view of marriage and then everything else that comes in line. Because it comes down to an issue of authority. An issue of authority, an, an issue of, of your convictions based on, on the Word of God. Based on the Word of God. You know, and I, I share it again, uh, our, our statement of faith here at Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship. We believe that marriage has been established by God. Therefore, marriage is a sacred covenant union between one man and one woman for life. Genesis 2.24, 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 3, Romans 1, 18 to 32, Ephesians 5, 22 to 33. When we, when we heard God's call to, to establish a church to step out in faith and obedience, we had to be true to all of Scripture and, and drive that stake in the ground. What, what do we believe the Bible is? <laughs> the authoritative, inerrant Word of God, truth. And therefore, our statement of faith should reflect what the Bible teaches, not what we want it to say. The full counsel of God. And that is what we have been founded upon. That is what we will always be. Lord willing around here. And... And yet, you know, the climate, the postmodern relativistic culture we live in makes that commitment even a little more uncomfortable, doesn't it? A little more, you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading in the last 48 hours, people giving their opinion about what may or may not happen, all the way to worst case scenarios and and, you know, different Supreme Court justices uh, uh, on the dissent giving their, their grave concerns for religious liberty. And, and, and that may or may not happen. But all I know that as we gather here this morning, it's a different country. What's going to happen in the days, weeks, and months ahead? I'm not sure. Like I said in the beginning, we can do what we can do reasonably with, with God-glorifying stewardship principles, and then we're just going to have to ride it out. But our willingness, our, our ability to write it out is rooted in absolute dependence on God, the Holy Spirit, and is rooted in absolute conviction that this is the authoritative Word of God. And, and when you make those decisions, when you count the cost individually and corporately to be a follower of Jesus, when you, when you make that, that moment of all-inness, in many ways... Your life is simplified because you simply walk in the power of the Holy Spirit in faith and obedience. It's when we kind of do this and we're not sure we're all in or we haven't counted the cost, that's when we start to maybe waver. That's when we start to kind of struggle. That's when it's like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? And so we're going to spend some time this morning and, and in the weeks ahead, just trying to, to seek the Lord and, and really seek His Word on what it means to press on in light of this new country, the, the, the decisions that have been made in this country in the last 48 hours. 
what, is it, what does it mean to press on? What's the starting point? And, you know, like I said, I've done a lot of reading, and, and I just want to share a little bit of an of a, of a article, a, a response that, that came from uh, R. Albert Moeller, the president of, of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, regarding, regarding this decision, because I, I think it really summarizes it very well. He says this, Everything has changed, and nothing has changed. The Supreme Court's decision today is a central assault upon marriage as the conjugal union of a man and a woman. And in a 5-4 decision, the nation's highest court has now imposed its mandate, redefining marriage on all 50 states. The threat to religious liberty represented by this decision is clear, present, and inevitable. Assurances to the contrary, the majority in this decision has placed every religious institution in legal jeopardy. If that institution intends to uphold its theological convictions, limiting marriage to the union of a man and a woman. This threat is extended to every religious citizen or congregation that would uphold the convictions held by believers for millennia. In that sense, everything has now changed. The highest court of the land has redefined marriage. Those who cannot accept this redefinition of marriage as a matter of morality and ultimate truth must acknowledge that the laws of this nation concerning marriage will indeed be defined against our will. We must acknowledge the authority of the Supreme Court in matters of law. Christians must be committed to be good citizens and good neighbors, even as we cannot accept this redefinition of marriage in our churches and in our lives. In one sense, everything has changed. And yet, nothing has changed. The cultural and legal landscape has changed, as we believe this will lead to very real harms to our neighbors. But our Christian responsibility has not changed. We are charged to uphold marriage as the union of a man and woman and to speak the truth in love. We are also commanded to uphold the truth about marriage in our own lives, in our own marriages, in our own families, and in our own churches. We are called to be people of the truth. Even when the truth is not popular, and even when the truth is denied by the culture around us. Christians have found themselves in this position before, and we will again. God's truth has not changed. The Holy Scriptures have not changed. The gospel of Jesus Christ has not changed. The church's mission has not changed. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in one sense, nationally, culturally, everything has changed. Spiritually, nothing's changed. Amen? Nothing's changed. So when we press on, we have to guard against getting caught up in the things of the culture. Because then you get distracted, then you get deflected, then you get upset, and you get all spun in all these different kinds of ways. I'm not saying you don't, you're not active in, 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 in expressing your views and getting involved in things. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is you have to stay focused on the main thing. And spiritually, our responsibility to God has not changed. Now, it may be, like I said, the gray area has shrunk, so it may have some very real consequences but ultimately has not changed and and so as we move forward i want to look at luke 14 and 
as far as we can get today. We may come back to it next week. Luke 14. If we're going to press on in following Jesus, let's look at what Jesus says about what it means to follow him. What it means to follow him. I shared with you uh, back when I was a new believer. I was probably a believer for a couple years, and then I went on a mission trip to the Philippines. And they had warned us that as part of the mission trip, we were going to go down to a southern island where there were communists and and organizations that weren't thrilled with, with Americans and weren't thrilled with Christians particularly. And so we went down to the southern island and we were at this, this base camp and we we're doing some ministry there. And then they said, okay, tomorrow we're going to send, you know, you're going to go into groups of two and you're going to just be spread out all over the place. You're going to go to different places. And so the next day came and me and my buddy, his name was Sean, we got picked to go to the farthest village in the remotest jungle where the groups were. And mind you, I'd only been a believer for a little bit. And so I'm like, really? And man, I was so scared. And so, you know, but I didn't want to let on. So we got on this Jeep with the local team and, and Sean went to go sit somewhere else and, and I, I was somewhere on the Jeep. And it was a pretty long drive out this thing to the mountains. And, I, and all I could think about was what they had told us about be careful, be careful. These are the groups out there. Yet. And I remember, I'd only been married a month, right? And I had to leave. And, and I remember that was, if you want to come to Jesus moment, that was a come to Jesus drive. Because I'm like, oh man, are you serious? Going out to this village. And I was so scared about what might happen. And, you know, you're looking for every boogeyman or every bush. And, you know, and, and literally, and I, and, I, and I spent, I don't know how long, like an hour drive out there just staring at the mountains, thinking about my wife, thinking about, is this it? You know, going through all the real, very real implications of my belief in Jesus. <laughs> and what became a, a fun mission trip to go help people became like this life and death <laughs> scenario. And and we got there, and I'll be honest with you, man, I, I just was like, you ever been somewhere and you really don't want to be there, so you kind of hang back, and you kind of let the other people take the lead? <laughs> so I'm like kind of just hanging back, and they're going hut to hut, waving, you know, meeting people, passing out Bibles, greeting them, and, and they're all fine. And I'm just like, you know, honestly, I could not get out there fast enough. When they said, it's time to go back, I was like, first one on the Jeep, let's go. <laughs> Ready to head home. Because I was confronted with, do you really believe this? Do you really believe this? You know, this mission trip suddenly became real. Because all of a sudden it might inflict pain, death, or something else. And so, rather than being detached and, and being a part of a program, no, man, you're in the middle of this, dude. Do you believe what you say you believe? You really believe this, and 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 it's difficult to, to convey that 
uh, unless you've been in a situation like that. Do you really believe what you believe? Because this might really cost you something. You know, and, and that's the challenge we have. And, 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 and it's no harp on you or me, but in the United States where we're comfortable, that truth sometimes rings hollow. Do you believe what you believe? Do you believe about following Jesus, giving up everything? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we go home in our 80-inch TVs and our AC, you know. It's tough. It's tough to, to make that real until you get out in the field and you're driving to a village where they say there's people that don't like you. And you're like, oh, man, really? Really? Yeah, do you believe what you say you believe? And so Jesus, look in Luke 14, starting in verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the, others, while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So Jesus, Jesus, I, I, the thing I love about Jesus is he just speaks the truth lovingly. He just lays it all out right on the front end. Right on the front end. And, and verse 25, it's one of those verses that we just tend to gloss over it says large crowds were traveling with Jesus see Jesus by this time he was kind of like the popular guy he had done miracles feeding people got this whole big crowd stirred up the, the you know hey Jesus is here come on come on come on so there's multitudes who come out it says that large crowds were traveling with him large crowds were traveling with Jesus Hey, what's he going to do next? Hey, this is that Jesus guy, right? And, and, and the, the thing I love about Jesus, if you read the Gospels and his sermons, I, I told Bill, you know the, the, the thing about Jesus, these mega churches, these seeker-oriented churches that, that dot the land? Jesus would, would not get hired. Imagine that. I don't think Jesus would get hired on some of these staffs of some of the large churches. Why? Because he intentionally weeded people out. Can you imagine that? Jesus applies at some mega church. Uh, okay, can you preach and hope a whole bunch of people leave? Uh, sorry, Jesus, we can't have you on staff here. <laughs> Why not? Every time you preach, hundreds leave. <laughs> right? I mean, it's amazing. Jesus would not get hired on some of these large churches because these churches want to attract crowds, multitudes. And Jesus, in truth, 
intentionally does the opposite. He says this, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Woohoo! There's a feel-good message. Who wants to come to follow Jesus? Right? What's he doing? He knows their hearts. And he's weeding people. He knows that a lot of the crowd is probably there just out of curiosity. A lot of them is, hey, what's he going to do for me? A lot of them are superficially. Right? It's exciting. It's the in thing. It's trendy. Jesus is cool now. And so he intentionally goes, hey, time out, large crowd. Let's just cut to the chase. And look what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, you've got to realize this couple things happening here. In this culture, family was huge. Honoring your mother and father in the Jewish tradition, priority. And Jesus is saying, Boop, I take precedence over the closest familial relationships you have. The Jews are thinking, wait a sec, the only person who's ever said that is God. In Deuteronomy 6, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, right? The only person in the Old Testament who commanded full allegiance and love above any other thing on this planet was who? God. And all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and says, hey, look what it is here. Hate your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, even his own life. Even your own life, Betty. If you don't do that, you can't be my disciple. Is Jesus saying we got to go around hating on people? That's not what he's saying. Right? That's not what he's saying. To help you, go to Matthew 10. Right? Keep your finger on Luke because we're going to go back there. Matthew 10. It says it in a different way that will help us understand. Matthew ten thirty seven. Very similar teaching of Jesus. Look at ten thirty seven, Matthew ten. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever who loses his life for me, for my sake, will find it. He's talking about, in, go back to Luke, when he says, anyone who does not hate his father and money, he's not talking about positive antagonism. He's not talking about hatred. He's talking about that definition of hate is loveless. Loveless. Right? So he says, hey, all those closest relationships in your earthly family, you got to love them all less than you love me. Including your own life. And then he says, of course, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple in that culture, right? They're familiar with Roman crucifixion. The cross. Cross. Right? And in that culture, when people are crucified, they would take them through the streets. You might be familiar with that. They would actually carry the beam. They would carry the, the cross beam. 
through the streets and they would have to announce what they're, you know, they have a sign or they announce what they were convicted of. So when Jesus says, hey, all those family relationships you have, you've got to love me more than any of them. And then you've got to be willing to take a cross and love me to death. Literal, physical death if necessary. That's counting the cost. See, and, and this is where, this is, this is so important to me in, in, light of, in light of pressing on in our culture and in our country as we reassess and as we take the time. Whew. See, we get concerned with, oh, you know, the Supreme Court made this decision and what does that mean? And Percy, read this. This is the cost. <laughs> this is really where the rubber meets the road, right? Because if you love Jesus more than any earthly person, and if you love Jesus more than you, own your, your, you love your own life, well then, hey, I'm all in. You get it? You see? He's like, hey, you large crowds, let's just deal with this on the front end. Are you all in? Are you all in? Because when you're all in, everything else will follow. Everything else will follow. And then he says here, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off, and he will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. What does the word everything mean? Everything, right? Like as Bill says in the original Greek, what is everything? Everything. So, he says, hey, you're going to build something. He's talking about in those two illustrations of the tower and the army. He says, hey, think about it. Don't make this emotional, rash decision. I want you to think about it. He says, use your noggin. Think about it. And that's why he uses those two. Rational thinking. I want you to really consider the cost here, large crowd. Stop and think. That's what those two illustrations are for. He wants you to really count the cost. So he says, hey, you want to be my disciple? You have to love me, Jesus, more than any earthly person. Hmm. Including you, your own life. Hmm. And then he says, you have to give up everything. Everything. That goes to everything. Not just people, but things. Things. In our materialistic American culture, that's things. It's interesting that word in, in verse 33. It says, in the same way any of you who does not give up everything, that word's renounce. It means to say farewell, goodbye. So in people's sense, it means to say goodbye, farewell. And it mean, in material sense, it's to give it up, to surrender it. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to be my disciple, you got to say goodbye. you got to say goodbye. Because you got to love me first. And you got to give up and surrender everything. Because you love me first. 
that's what Jesus says. That's what Jesus says. And as I was thinking about the Supreme Court decision and, and what does this mean, honestly, those verses have been in there for hundreds of years. <laughs> Nothing's changed. He didn't write that since Friday. It's always been in there. It's always been in there. And yet the challenge, and we shared this a few weeks ago, we are called in the Great Commission to make disciples, not decisions. And there's nothing wrong with outreach and altar call and people calling people to, to, to follow Jesus. Nothing wrong with that. But understand, as a church, the Great Commission says, go and make disciples. And what does Jesus say? If you want me to be my disciple, you've got to love me more than any earthly person. Including yourself. And you've got to give up everything. You see, if we'll take the time to really ask ourselves the real questions about this passage, following Jesus in whatever culture you're going to be in, you just follow him. Anyway, you could be trans excuse me, you could be transplanted any place on this country, any place in this world, and you're still all in for Jesus. Right? We tend to be so circumstanced, so feelings driven, so, you know, no, Jesus says, hey, love me more than any human, including yourself, and give me everything. That's my disciple. That's what it means to be a disciple. So now you know why he wouldn't get hired on many staffs. <laughs> He wouldn't get hired. Because <laughs> a lot of us in this room are probably like, <laughs> if we're honest, it's, it, it's tough. It's tough. I understand that. And here's the great thing about it. If you're struggling with that, if you're like, that's impossible, that's exactly where you need to be. I, I've told you over and over, the Christian life in your own strength is impossible. So if you're sitting here going like, love Jesus more than any human on this planet, including my own life, and give Him everything, that's impossible. That's the whole point. you got to go, Jesus, that's impossible. I need you, the Holy Spirit, to make that happen. And then you do it by faith and obedience. It's designed to be impossible because it's a supernatural work. That's what it is. And when you cross over and you're like, okay, I don't get it fully, but by faith and obedience, you said I got to love you more than any other human being. That's going to take time, guys. I mean, I'm, I'm a pastor. I've studied this. I'm trying to figure out what it means to love Jesus more than my wife. Let's just be honest, more than my kids, because I understand that. Right? You know, what does that mean? Okay, I don't really fully get it, but okay, Jesus, I'm gonna, I need your Holy Spirit to help me understand that. And to give up everything and to, to know that it's your car, it's your house, it's your stuff. Okay, I was kind of raised to accumulate. I was, really, I was kind of raised to buy and it's mine. What does it mean to give it to you? What are you going to do with it, Jesus? If I loan it to them, are they going to break it? You know what I mean? All that stuff. I get it. But here's the starting point. If we're going to press on in this culture and climate, that's only going to get worse, yo. It's only going to... Not, don't, barring a miracle of God, you're going to have to decide 
what it means to follow Jesus based on what he says. Based on what he says. Right? Close with this and we'll do communion. I, I found this interesting, interesting quote. It says this. In the 60s, everyone was trying to find themselves. In the 70s, it was improve yourself. In the 80s, it was serve yourself. In the 90s, it was love yourself. In the new millennium, maybe it's protect yourself. But in every age, according to Scripture, it should be die to self. We live in a generation and a culture that is very self-centered, self-serving. What can Jesus do for me? When Jesus' words in Luke say, No, you love me more than anyone else on this planet. You give me everything. You come follow me. And then what does he say in John 10.10? You have abundant life. You'll have abundant life. Note to self, following Jesus is a good thing. (laughs) Okay, the step of faith is to believe him. I got to give it all up. Well, what if I give it up? What if I give it up? Just follow him and see. Follow him and see what happens when you love him above everyone else. Follow him and see what happens when you really release everything into his hands. See what happens when he means if you lose your life, you'll find that abundant life. When you cross the line and you go all in, miraculous supernatural transformation happens in you. It's when we're doing this. Okay. I understand that. That, that, That's sanctification. That's why we need each other. To encourage one another to do this. Okay? In the weeks ahead, we're going we're to continue walking through this season of the church in this country. But, but we got, we, we, this is the starting point, guys. This is Jesus' own words. Speaking truth to his would-be followers. And he's saying, hey, you large crowd, here's what it, here's what it means. And if you find that impossible, that's exactly where you need to be. Because you throw yourself in complete dependence on him. And you let him do supernatural things through the Holy Spirit. Amen? Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, large crowds were following you. And you knew that it represented a whole lot of variety of of motivations and reasons for following you. And, And yet this morning we see in your word that you just directly cut to the heart, you cut to the chase. Say, hey, I want you to love me more than any human on this planet, including yourself. Hey, I want you to give me everything. And Jesus, we recognize that in ourselves that is absolutely impossible. And so, in in submission, in surrender, in acknowledgement of of the impossibility in, in the flesh, we just say, we need you. We need the Holy Spirit to to enable us to walk in truth and obedience to this Scripture. And Jesus, maybe that just begins with confession. Maybe we just need to confess this hasn't been us. There are other things and other people we love more than you. And my prayer is in our time of confession, it would also be a time of repentance. A time where we release and we surrender 
what needs to be surrendered and released to you. Jesus, as we take communion, we're reminded of your love. First, we're reminded that you sacrificed yourself for us. We're reminded of your grace and mercy while we were yet sinners. And so in this time of communion and reflection upon your word this morning, we're reminded that you loved us first. And you call us to be all in because you are all in in obedience to your Father's will. So we love you, Jesus. We hold these cups in our hands during this time of communion in remembrance of you. Amen.